Welcome to Wine for Normal People, the podcast for people who like wine, but not the snobbery that goes with it. I'm your host, Elizabeth Schneider, author of the Wine for Normal People book and certified wine dork. And I'm MC Ice, just a wine-loving normal person. This podcast is sponsored by Wine Access. Wine Access is my go-to source for awesome wines at great prices. Go to wineaccess.com slash normal to join my wine club at wineaccess.com slash WFMP to see the wines that I'm drinking right now. Listen in the middle of the show for more details. You don't want to miss out. So today we have another one in the greats series. As we think about the greats, probably this will be one of the only rosés. We'll definitely talk about Provence rosé. I think that deserves a place, especially from some of the best producers. But in my years of teaching the rosé class, which I do teach every year, and mostly it's just so that I can drink the rosé. because That's true. Most of the classes do fill up, and I love you guys for it because you're taking Oh, you the could classes. have zero people sign up, and you would still teach the class. I will be there. Yep. If you don't want to be there, I will be there. I did used to offer it too early because I was excited about it, but now I know I can't really offer it until June because that's when all the rosés are in. But this is a rosé that can actually age. I could have bought this bottle years ago. I wish that it were not in a clear bottle, but we are talking about the rosé that almost every time I teach the rosé class wins for the favorite rosé. And that is because I would say it's not exactly a rosé. What? I think, and a lot of people say this, it's almost its own type of wine. And that is why it's really, not a red it's such light? a great. It is. That's right. It, that's exactly right. So what we are talking about is Tavel. Tavel is from the Rhone. It is 100% rosé. You will not find any white made in Tavel. You will not find any red. It is one of the only rosé only AOCs hmm. in France. It is the darkest of all the rosés. And its identity is very different. It is, like I said, the fourth wine type of the still wines. It's, but it it's, tastes like a rosé. I mean, it doesn't really um, Sometimes. Like one, ah, it, really? It, not exactly, no. It doesn't have the lightness that a rosé has. It's got much more weight to it. It is almost a claret, which used to be a popular style of light red wine. It has more body. It has more oomph. It has a little more tannin. You're not going to find that in most rosé. We're talking about a place that is across the Rhone, from Chateauneuf-de-Pape, just north of Avignon. It's on the right bank of the Rhone, on the west side of the river. It's about 10 miles northwest of Avignon, or 15 kilometers. Mm-hmm. This is a mere 960 hectares, or 2,372 acres. Oh, that's it? That's it. 42% of it is exported out of France, so that's a fairly high percentage. It has an incredibly long history, which we'll go over, and it includes a lot of varieties like everything in the Rhone. This is not in the Southern Rhone, I should say. You would think this would be more expensive then. It's insane that it's not more expensive, but some of them can be. Okay. But they don't generally age them in oak, which is something that will add to expense. They don't often hold them for very long, so that's also going to lower the cost. And you have something that includes a lot of different varieties. It has red and white grapes. I know that sounds strange because I've said many times you are not allowed to use red and white grapes in rosé. But Except. you are not allowed to do you're not allowed to do the science project where you vinify it all and then later on do the MCI's thing where you make your rosé. 
Oh, you have, oh, right. Where you that, have red right. in a glass, yes. and then you decide to switch to white or vice that's, versa, and yes, then you that, turn it look, into rosé. That process works very well for you. It does. It's not legal in France. Like that. Yeah, I'm sure that you have. You're such the winemaker, but Grenache has to be present in every wine. It usually makes up half the blend, but not always. We're going to talk about many of the other grapes and the roles that they play later. When you see a Tavel, it's dark. And in fact, our younger daughter saw it in the refrigerator and said, is that rosé? She did? Yes. Good for her. And I said, yes, it is. And she said, I wasn't sure because it looks like a light-colored red wine. Wow. Yeah. Well, very astute. Nice job. It is, but it's also what you're going to find if you've never had this wine before. When you're looking at the wall of rosés, you may see it and go, oh, that looks bad or that looks wrong. No, it looks exactly how it should. So if you're partial to red wines and you haven't really ventured into the rosé arena, is this the place to start? Oh, 100%. Yes, yes. So why are you complaining about, I mean, you're talking about the color and how important that is and how unique it is, but you're complaining about the clear bottle. What's what's wrong with that? I want to say that a lot of the information I got on Tavel, I'm going to give it up to my friends, Ben Burnham and... Liz Gabay, who wrote the book Rosés of Southern France. They were on the podcast. It's on Amazon. You can find it on my site, on the store page. Cheers they, to them, but it's, you're avoiding the question. No, no, no. I'm, I'm going to say that the information <laughs> that I'm giving you may sound familiar if you oh, listen to that show. Okay. Because one of the problems with all wines that are in a clear bottle is light strike. Light strike can affect bottles that are of all colors, but clear bottles, especially when light gets into the wine, Mm -hmm. it can taste like cabbage and spoiled vegetables and rotten food and stuff like that. We have gotten into a habit, and it's a pretty bad habit, of expecting rosé to be in these clear bottles. What I'd really love to see them do is make a bottle that has a little window so you could see the color, but most of it, it's going to be expensive if they did do that, but most of it would be an amber color or dead leaf, which is what that is called, or dark green, because honestly, color does not matter that much in a rosé. What matters more are the alcohol level, the grapes, and the appellation, and the winemaking. Are rosés more susceptible to light strike? No, anything in a clear bottle is susceptible to light strike. You're just saying that rosés more frequently come in clear bottles. They're always, always, always. Boxes. Put them in boxes, right? I know, I know. Boxes really are the way to go. And again, you could probably more easily do a little color swatch on a box. Little window in a box, sure. In any case, the clear bottle is a serious problem for rosé. And as rosé gets taken more seriously, hopefully people will start to want to protect the rosé more. But to your point, they're not getting enough for these wines to be able to say, okay, well, we're going to go the other way. Well, this is for Elizabeth P. She's a patron. Right. We could just wrap the bottle in press and seal. Oh, she would really love that. I mean, that should diffuse enough of the light to protect it. I don't think that's true. One more reason to use press and seal. I will say we're (laughs) recording this really late because it's the day after our hangout with patrons in Raleigh, which was so freaking fun, of course, like all of our live hangouts. And I love that people like exchange numbers and made new friends. I mean, that's the whole point of doing these things. It happens every time. It was so fun. We really had a great time. All we want is to bring people together. If we can help bring people together through Patreon friendships and stuff like that. Obviously, we're here to talk about wine, but people have made nice friendships from across the country. And we enjoy meeting everyone too. Oh my gosh. Frank, yeah, Frank. Shout out to Frank. I mean, and 
and Kayla and Andy. Kayla, Kayla Andy, for handing. Yeah, that's got, right. a, got a shout out for the wine feed. Fantastic people, of course, just like every time that we have these events. And that's what the patron community is about. It's not just about supporting the podcast, but us trying to create more community and, and doing it in a live fashion when we can. But anyway, you know what? You did remind me I haven't done patron shout outs. So let me do them real quick. We need to thank everybody on Patreon, P A T R E O N dot com slash wine for normal people. If you want to come to events like this, you've got to be a patron. We don't do any public events. It's All the just live another benefit of being a patron. It is. All right. Alan B, Sandra B, Ashley M, Elizabeth H, Marcello B, Steve P, Shari, Liz B, Pam W, Jeremy S, Kelly H, Lauren, Barry E, Reese W, Morris W, Julio, Chris and Gigi, Christine A, Alexander, iChart Radio, Stafford H, John Michael P, Bianca P, August O, and Sherry H. Thank you all so much. Let's get back to Tavel here. Tavel also, incidentally, besides the fact that it is dark and hearty, it, you can pair it with winter food. You can pair it with summer food. It is truly a year-round wine, a la Beaujolais, a la some heavier Sauvignon Blancs, well, you know, Chardonnay, Burgundy, things like that. I was going to make some barbecue ribs. Do you think I, it could stand up to that? Maybe not this particular one that we're drinking, yeah. which is from a cooperative, which is fine. Mm-hmm. I mean, perhaps one that's a little bit more significant. Absolutely. Wow, okay. In fact, one of the food pairing suggestions that I have is barbecue because of the sweetness, right? right? right, right so right. this can handle some of that sweetness, sweet and but it's savory. Got enough, yeah, but it's yes. got enough that it can handle the, the little bit of kick too. Yeah, you got it. And not get overpowered. You got it. Yep. You got it. What is it about this that's going to give you that idea? It's got weight. It has that little bit of tannin. Yet there's fruit there's minerality, yeah, you know, the this, right? It's really crazy. And I'll explain why that is. It's aromatic. It's mm-hmm. complex. It tastes like strawberries and cream with a tobacco finish. How does that even happen? It sounds lighter and sweeter than it actually is. Oh, no, 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 I mean, no, no, no. It's no, not no. like... said it's tannic. I mean, this wine has got creamy. It's got some fullness got to it. It's got a nice finish. Yeah, it's unlike any rosé that there is. It is a serious rosé, which is why, not to say that there aren't others, because let me tell you, there are many that are from Provence, from Bandol, that are. But this is in a class by itself, and it is incredibly consistent. And I will tell you that the history of it, Tavel has been famous since it started being cultivated in the 5th century BC. It was planted by the Greeks. It was developed by the Romans because Tavel is on the Rhone. It's on a major route between where the Roman settlements mm-hmm. were at Rokmar and at Nîmes. Rokmar, incidentally, is where St. Valentine's remnants are supposed to be. Oh, really? Yes. Just... As a little fact of well, trivia. I mean, the, the color certainly worked. Right. We have found amphora fragments from the Greeks depicting grapes here. Huh. In the 1200s, Villa Tavellis was written into documentation. Tavel, Tavellis. Mm-hmm. We know that in the 14th century, Pope Innocent VI, from 1352 to 1362, this was the Avignon Popes. So the Popes got irritated at what was going on in mm-hmm. Rome and all of the corruption. You had a French Pope, missed home, moved up to Avignon. Right, yeah. Avignon became this, the seat of Catholicism. Well, Pope Catholics Innocent. Aren't 
dumb. I mean, we have good taste. Well, Rome's no slouch either, man. Okay. I mean, they had some pretty good wine down there. But he was French, so he loved wine, and he loved Chateauneuf de Pop, both red and white. But he asked the monks in Tavel to make wines that were lighter in color and in alcohol than the reds from across the river in Chateauneuf. So they made a claret made by the Priore de Montezargues in Tavel. Why, it's a priory, right? It still exists today, by the way. And in fact, when I went to the Rhone last year and went to the DVR, the big tasting event, it was amazing. There was a monk. He had short, mm-hmm, bowl-cut mm-hmm. hair, yeah. and he was in like his st- full... Like the stereotypical monk? Yes, really? yes. Hmm. It was very, very cool. Anyway, after Pope Gregory the Eleventh moved the papal court back to Rome in 1377, and right up until the French Revolution, the wines of Tavel were imported into Italy to the Pope. Wow, I missed out on that. We certainly didn't have communion wine this good. I don't think anybody has communion wine oh, this good anymore. Oh, I think oh, it probably communion wine used to be pretty good because it was the wine of the local area. I mean, area. can you imagine? I don't know. You're going to have to go take communion in a bunch of places and see if the wine's better. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do it, so you'll have to. MCS is happy to do this research. He's going to get hammered in every church in uh, France and know. Spain. Italy. Yeah, I guess it's there. Spain, There's a chance Italy, of the wine being pretty good. Yeah, yeah I think so. Okay. After this, Philip IV traveled through Tavel, tried the wine, proclaimed Tavel to be the only good wine in the world. So these, now you have the royalty behind it. Then you have the Sun King, Louis XIV, of course, a very famous mm-hmm. Louis XIV, loved the wine. And then if we fast forward in 1927, at the suggestion of Baron Pierre Leroy, he is super famous. He was the union president. He led 40 Tavel producers to petition the authorities to define and delimit the production area. And in 1936, when the AOC system was introduced, the delimitation mm-hmm. of the Appellation Origine Controlée AOC system, they were one of the first to get that. Now, at that point, the grapes were mostly grown on the sandy flatlands that were close to town. This is because it was easier to cultivate vines there. Mm-hmm. Remember that it is always mind-boggling when we hear about viticulture, as we did last week when we talked about Mencia, how people are harvesting stuff by boat or having to get there by boat and vertigo-inducing cliffs because most people made wine like they did in Tavel. Look, it's right outside of town. It's on the sandy flats. It's Mm -hmm. easier to cultivate. That's where we're going to do it. That's why some of these really famous places, it's amazing that they discovered that A, they wanted to do viticulture there and B, that it did so well there. It's crazy. This is a, a more common story, which is that they grew them on the sandy flats close to town. But in 19... 36, there is another story out of Tavel, which is really interesting. If you're on Patreon, you can Google this video. It was right after I moved, so I look really tired. My hair's a little frizzy, but, you know, we had a fun little room where it happened from Hamilton. I put put an overlay on there because there's a story that allegedly during this trip to Paris, vignerons from Tavel entered into a tacit agreement with Chateauneuf de Pop. Chateauneuf de Pop said, we will make red and white and you make rosé only. We will never make rosé, and you will never make a red or white. There has never been a rosé mm. out of Chateauneuf, and there has never been a red or white out of Tavel since 1936. Interesting. In Backroom deals. But when you hear about the terroir, it becomes very clear why Chateauneuf would want to strike this deal, because this area, which is across the river, mm-hmm. is awfully similar, and if they did happen to make wines red or white, Mm -hmm. they might threaten the supremacy of Chateauneuf. In 1965, now remember I talked about the Sandy Flats and that being historic. In 1965, they cleared the hillsides of the forest and they started preparing those for growing vines. 
which is important because as we talk about these types of soils here, it is three really distinctive types of soils. Super Are quick. you saying that, because I know you are not a huge proponent of clearing forests, but are you saying that in this case it was kind of worth it? Oh, it was absolutely worth it. <laughs> in fact, you know, in most of these places, in order to do viticulture, any agriculture, you'd have to clear forest. This was not necessarily clear cutting. There's still forest around. Okay. And this is only 2,000 acres of vines. So we're not talking about a giant area of clear cutting. What I'm not a fan of is total deforestation. Okay. And the wine industry... Except on an industrial scale, most of the vineyards are fairly low impact. When we're talking about this, there are, there are certainly other agricultural forms of agriculture mm -hmm. that need to shape up more than wine. Got Not it. to say that we couldn't do more, but I think most of the stuff that we do, it's mostly by a transportation and packaging that we need to fix our problems. But anyway, climate. Anytime we talk about the Southern Rhone, there are quirks. Like, do you have Mistral influence or don't you have Mistral influence? The Mistral is that big whipping local wind off the Massif Central. Mm -hmm. It blows. Gosh, when it blows, it's cold. And it's really windy and your hair looks really bad. Anyway, very sunny Mediterranean. Here there is Mistral influence. That's really good for keeping acidity in the grapes, keeping things dry. The areas that are covered are really between Tavel and Rokmar, like I talked about. And there are three types of soils. Most are a blend of three. What we are drinking is a blend of the terroir. This is the Cave de Tavel or the Cave de Vigneron de Tavel. Blend of grapes from different vineyards with a variety of terroir. Yes, this is Cate Vent. Four vents is what it'll say. But I think it's Cate Vent. Yeah, I'm, vent. I'm good, vent. I don't I'm good vent. with Four vents. Yeah, it's four vents. So four vents. And again, remember, no emails about the French. We don't take those anymore. Three types of soils. First is Les Vestides. This is the flat, chalky, white limestone soils. They're called Lauz or Laz, L-A-U-Z-E-S. They cover the area west of the village. Marl, slate hmm. on a wide valley. There's varied soils. Some plots have red clay. Some have gravel. For the most part, you've got low-yielding vines, very aromatic wines. The limestone soils are really good for rosé. They retain water, but they are basic. They're alkaline, and that's going to make okay. generally very acidic wines that are elegant and still have a lot of fruit. That's why we like limestone for some of the lighter things. Like Chardonnay does really well. You get great acidity, but you still have a lot of aromatics. That's what, what limestone brings. Wait, I've got a dumb question. If you said the soils are basic or ba alkaline, are base, right? right? That seems like it's on the opposite end of the spectrum as acid. And so how can a base soil make an acidic wine? It's, it's a little bit confusing because limestone is clearly an alkaline substance, and it does yield grapes that are very high in acidity. But granite is a very acidic rock, and it also makes wines that are very high in acidity. Hmm. It just depends likely on the grape and the mixture in the terroir. Nothing is really pure anything, although we do come pretty close with limestone. For some reason, the grapes that are in limestone soil react this way. Now, the fruit that comes through in the elegance from limestone soils mm -hmm. 
I don't know why that is. I can tell you that the relationship is surely there because anyone that's ever grown or tasted things that have grown in limestone soil sees this because you see it in Champagne and you see it in Chablis and you see it in Burgundy Mm -hmm. and you see it here. It is a quirk that granite is also quite acidic and you get acidic grapes out of that. And when you taste, you know, schist, for instance, which I believe is more alkaline than granite, and you taste the two of them together, we were talking about that in the podcast last week, then you'll see that schist wines are less acidic and granite is more acidic. So that makes more sense because it's one-to-one, but limestone does yield very acidic grapes for Mm, some reason. That's weird. We'll take a step away from the podcast to thank our sponsors this week. First of all, Wine Access. We can't do this show without the patrons and without Wine Access. Wineaccess.com slash WFMP or wineaccess.com slash normal is how you will get 10% off your first order. Wineaccess.com slash normal is how you can join the Wine for Normal People Wine Access Wine Club. It is not too late to sign up for the next shipment. These wines are spectacular all hand selected by me. If you join, you get 10% off anything else you buy on the site. It is a great deal. Also, wineaccess.com slash WFMP is where you'll find my picks. Wine Access has great wines that are often available for repurchase. It's like a collection of their greatest hits plus new wines for you to discover. Free shipping is included when you spend $150 and with their new buy and hold feature, you have up to 30 days to reach that $150 free shipping threshold so you can claim the bottles you want before they sell out. I love receiving my wine access box. It is pure quality. Each wine comes with a story behind the wine. You have wine and food pairings, serving temperatures, which you know I think is super important. And the wines are curated from around the world by a credentialed team of wine experts. Get on it today. Go to wineaccess.com normal. Wine Access is fantastic. I am so proud and happy to be working with them. I hope that you will check them out and support them as they support us. And I also hope that you will support the podcast and join the fabulous community of people on Patreon. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash wine for normal people is how you will get access to years and years of exclusive content you will not find anywhere else. You will have access to Hangouts in person, in physical locations, and online. You have all sorts of opportunities to really get involved, and I guarantee that I answer all patron questions that are sent to me via Patreon personally. The best part is if you join, you are helping keep this podcast going. Each week, we produce this podcast out of nothing. We do the research, we spend the time, and so although it appears to be free, it's not free actually to us. It's a lot of time and a lot of effort. So if you can spare just a little bit to help us keep going, patreon.com slash wine for normal people. And don't forget to sign up for the wine for normal people classes, wineforNormalPeople.com slash classes, getting better wines out of California, Tuscany, right after my Tuscany trip. Wines of South Africa, which hasn't been offered in a while. Those are all live right now. But of course, if you're listening to this anytime, you can find Wine for Normal People classes available. So check it out today. Go to Wine Access, go to Patreon, go to wineforNormalPeople.com slash classes. Thank you so much for all of your support. And now let's get back to the show. Okay, so that is Le Vestie. That's the limestone soils. Then you have Olive. Olive is on terraces and gentle slopes that are southeast of the village, light, 
well-drained soils, sandy soils. This is the traditional area where they grew the grapes. This is the most historic cultivation area, well-drained alluvial sand and stones. This is easy to cultivate, good ripening. And you have light wines here. When you have these sandy soils, the thing that you're going to try to do in the winery is extraction. So you can press these grapes, you can get a little bit more color, more tannin, because naturally this stuff growing on sandy soils is going to be very light. So the winemaking is going to push it a little bit farther. These wines from the Olive are going to be better in hotter years because there's more ripeness out of the maceration, you'll be able to get more flavor. In cooler years, it's going to be a little difficult from the traditional Olive soils, though these wines have lower alcohol. So if we're thinking about the blending possibilities, you may have great acidity from Le Vestide, you may have lower alcohol and lighter wines from Olive, and then from the last one we'll, we'll talk about in a second, the Belong, you will have another thing entirely. The other thing about the sandy soils In wine, we always say, so sandy soils keep phylloxera away. South of Tavel, in the sandy soils, was where phylloxera was first introduced in the 1860s. Oh, great. They planted American vines by a local landowner. Again, there was a lot of back and forth Mm -hmm. and steamship travel made the phylloxera live because it was a shorter trip, yada, yada. The sandy soil, we believe, definitely slowed the spread. The last soil, remember I mentioned that Chateauneuf has a bit of a rub. The first two sound nothing like Chateauneuf. Chateauneuf is a place with lots of different soil types, Mm -hmm. but the thing that is most celebrated is the Galet Roulet. Galet Roulet are these smooth, round stones that range in size from like a watermelon, a small watermelon, to a grapefruit. So they're smooth because they've been eroded by something, probably They were brought down from the Rhone. Yeah, they were brought down from the Rhone after the last ice age. Okay. They came down river. They were smoothed over time. Mm -hmm. Some action of the glaciers. Glaciers are going to do that, sure. And they made big stones. And what they do is actually protect the clay from drying out in the sun. They slow evaporation down. Hmm. The Belong is the warmest area. This is always harvested first. And this most resembles the vineyards of Chateauneuf. It is not that much different from Chateauneuf. It's just east of the town in the direction of Chateauneuf. And these are the same stones that are found there. If we go back to the story, why would Chateauneuf not want Havel ever to make red wine? Competition. So we could buy a chateau... And in as, as foreigners, we could just do Vend de France. Right, well, we could just, just make claim, it a Vend de France. Right, just claim that we're ignorant. No, right. We, 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 we didn't know claim. about the, the deal <laughs> back in the day and just grow what we want. As long as you don't label it Tavel, you can do whatever you want now. Anyway, let's get to the grapes. The grapes that are in this wine are always a blend, they have to be a blend. Most are small buried clones, they want real concentrated flavor. This is not your regular rosé. This is not something that is fresh and fruity. We're looking for a pretty serious wine. Mainly, Grenache is the grape that we rely on when we're thinking about Tavel. Mm -hmm. It provides balance. It provides fruit. It provides body, alcohol. The Appalachian rules only specify that Grenache must be present in the blend. It does not say a percentage. A minimum a composition. No. no. And by the way, it doesn't say what kind of Grenache. It doesn't say that it is Grenache Noir. It can be Noir, and it generally is, but it can also be Gris and Blanc. Ooh, okay. They all satisfy that condition. Tavel can be any proportion of white grapes 
as long as the blend contains at least some reds. Syrah is added for flavor and tannin, not allowed to be more than 10%. Mouvedre, same thing, very powerful grape added for color and aroma can't be more than 10%. Sinso, hugely important grape in all rosé in this part of the world. Lots of aroma, great acidity, long maceration. It has some lightness, so they macerate it for a really, really long time. Carignan, Carignan is always good for tannin and color and acidity. Calator, which is this very rare ancient red grape, is being revived currently. We're seeing more and more Calator, so look for that kind of an interesting grape. The white Claret, which is flowery notes and softness, same with Berbolenc and Peak Pole. Rosé can be made in several different ways. You can listen to any number of the Rosé podcasts. I will link to them if you want to go back and listen to how Rosé is made. But in this case, the grapes are is harvested. Is my method included? Your method is only included in the New World oh, and shoot. champagne. Okay. You are allowed to mix red and white and champagne right, for rosé. Red grapes for the rosé are harvested just a little earlier than the reds. They're not harvested that much earlier. You want ripeness. You want fruit. You destem them. Sometimes, sometimes you don't destem them. It just depends on the winemaking. You press the grapes really lightly, especially if they're very ripe reds. You do extended skin contact with Tavel. So you'll do a cold maceration. You don't want fermentation to start. If you want to get the color and you want to get the juice out, you do cold maceration. So that's what gives it the gravitas that we taste? Um, no, the skin contact is what I'm saying. Yes, it gives the yes. color and some of the tannin. Yes. yes, of course. So the cold maceration can take 24 to 48 hours or 72 hours on the skins. Maceration is what is going to make a wine more or less age-worthy in this case. So they want to do further higher-end cuvées, they will macerate for a lot longer. Making sure they keep it cold so fermentation cannot happen because mm-hmm. you want to make sure that you're pressing and macerating but not getting fermentation to happen because you got to get all the blend together before you ferment it. Right. They will use free-run juice also. Free-run juice is the weight of the grapes on top of each other. Then that's going to create juice at the bottom. You'll take that. And then they will use pressed juice. They'll put it together. But the color is mandated by Appalachian laws. Yeah, they have a pig. They have a pigment chart. They do? Yes. It has to be darker in color to be a Tavel. Rose, like I said, can't be made by blending red and white, the MCI style except in champagne. So they're co-fermented. You could do it two ways. You can either press each lot and then blend the juice together and then ferment it, Mm -hmm. or you can mash them up together and then ferment them together. Generally speaking, that is not the preferred method because you want to make sure that each lot is cleared. Yeah, and then you put them together and you co-ferment them. They cannot be fermented separately and blended afterwards. They all have to be. No, no, no. That's what I'm saying is you might crush them, but you can't ferment them individually Uh, and mix them later. That's not legal. You'd crush them as they come in and do a cold maceration make sure fermentation doesn't happen. And then you mix them together. You'll hold them in tanks, stainless steel tanks, temperature control. You make sure that fermentation is stopped. And then... When you're ready, you mix them together and then you you start the fermentation. Because I'm assuming there's ambient yeast there, so it's going to happen, right? right? but it can't happen at the wrong temperature, temperature. so you chill it down. Some wines will undergo malolactic. You can only do it if the acidity is high enough, and we're talking about places where the fruit can be quite ripe. You might want to inhibit malolactic, but some people are doing it to get a creamy body. 
The goal, though, is to make sure that there's enough acidity here. And with climate change, it's a little bit rough to try to put something through malolactic fermentation. But Chateau Trinquevadel and Manassi, the two of the more traditional properties, they have their vines all on sandy soils. Mm-hmm. They have a lot of freshness in the wine. So they are able to do malolactic usually. Okay. And those wines are freaking delicious, by oh. the way. Some do oak. Usually only in the top cuvee, though, where there's a lot of fruit, there's a lot of complexity. Can you do oak? It's aged Not much oak. oak, right? No, no, no. And it's not generally new oak. If it is, it's a very small percentage. They age it a few months to more than a year before they bottle it. But these wines can age. And this is something that I need to get better at because... Aging? But yeah, no, we can't let wine sit. And we're not going to get better at aging. Uh, well, we personally are not going to get better at aging because <laughs> the wrinkles just keep coming. Yeah. But, um, but these can develop really complex flavors. And Liz and Ben have taught me, you're going to get something that's like spice and cassis and minerality and like a mold wine if you keep it. They tasted stuff from 1976 and said it was still absolutely stunning. 76? Yes. Really? Yes. Tavel's from no. 1976 and it was still stunning. Wow. Yes. Okay. Kept under the right conditions. I think these can be really successful hmm. agers. Think about holding it for a while, but if you see one that's not current vintage, my rule about most Provence Rosé, because as again, you need to listen to that podcast, it's about the yeast. <laughs> so right. Funny. right. These wines are built to last, hmm. and their yeasts are impeccable. So they're not using bad yeasts that are going to make these wines fail very quickly. What can you expect when you buy these wines? You're thinking dark color, ruby red. Some are a little bit more orange. What can they taste like? Red fruit is usually the description. So cherry, strawberry, raspberry. It can be sometimes like candied red fruit, sometimes a little bit like red currant. Candied red fruit. It's not like cough drop. Okay. Just a little sweeter red fruit. Like strawberries and cream is always one of the descriptions that I like to get. Right, but I'm not getting any... Not on this particular one, but you can get that out of the fuller ones. Floral notes, really beautiful white flowers. That's very common. Herbs, garrigue, lavender, and rosemary. Mm, That is part of that scrubland, the Mm -hmm. garrigue. They can be a little bit leafy sometimes. When I say leafy, do you know what I mean? I'm I'm not talking about lettuce. It's kind of like a fresh, you know, like the smell of a leaf. Yes, it's spring After in the northern hemisphere. Yeah. yeah, so think about that, like just rubbing a leaf together and smelling that. And it smells very fresh and outdoor, mm-hmm. like a tree leaf smells like that. And somebody asked me this the other day, how can something taste like dirt or earth or something like that? And again, I know a lot of you know this, but most of taste is aroma. So right. what you smell can come across as taste because it's a, an aroma. So anyway, that's when, when I say leafy, I'm not trying to be like snotty or weird. It well, really no, they, does taste I, like they a leaf. add little bits of dirt into the wine. Oh, That's geez, when you at the at no, the, the residual at the bottom of the wine bottle. Yeah. The, okay. the last pour, I you'll see love, the hey, dirt that come into my glass. We had so much sediment in one of our wines oh the other God, night, and I right. got to explain to our daughter right. what sediment was and the chemical reactions behind yeah, it. I that was kind it, of after cool. After I picked it out of my teeth. Jeez. Yeah, I don't know why you you didn't notice that it was getting into your glass. But I'm anyway. watching the basketball game. All right, the wine can also, with time, and if it's got some oak, it can have pepper, it can have spice, it can have some tannin, 
baked notes. It can even be like almonds. The intensity of the sun in these wines is apparent. These are really different rosés. And with the tannin, the slight bitterness on the finish, that can really counter some of the creaminess, some of the sweeter fruit notes. This wine has a custard note, minerality, salinity, tobacco on the finish. The alcohol levels can be relatively high. Why is that? Because Grenache is high in alcohol. But this is not a bad thing with these rosés because the higher the alcohol, the fuller the body. They're 13 14% alcohol, and it's this roundness and fruit. Sadly, they used to age them before release, but Today, most of them are sold and consumed within a year of harvest, and we really need to think about buying two bottles. Buy one for now and one for later. That's a strategy that we need to employ for all of our wine purchases going forward. A lot of people do. We are really bad about it just because we have a lot of wine and not a lot of space. So there's that. This wine is uh, 13.5%. That's common, too. A lot of this is coming from the sandier soils, so you're going to get lower alcohol Mm -hmm. out of that, too. Food pairings we've talked about. I love this with goat cheese, raclette, salads, charcuterie. And then you can go the other way. You can go samosas and Middle Eastern spices. You can go tahini, Moroccan spice. And then like we talked about for some of the heavier wines, barbecue, tomato sauce, squash soups. Oh my God, I love this in the fall with squash soups. Butternut squash soup, pumpkin. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Although we can easily put down a bottle of this without thinking about it because it tastes so good. It does. Tavel is also really good with food, especially if you're a goat cheese person like I am. Mm -hmm. I can eat an entire log Mm -hmm. of goat cheese with this without thinking twice. It would be like one of the mini Trader Joe's ones, but right. still, right. it's pretty good. There are no formal classifications in Tavel, but Liz Gabay and Ben Bernheim, and again, I would recommend you get their book, The Rosés of Southern France. They talk about the seniority of the older chateau. All the oldest ones are on that sandy soil because of the ease of cultivation, mm. and they have been around for so mm-hmm. long. So Chateau Trinquevadel love them. Chateau Manissi, they're maybe my favorite. I love them. Chateau Acaria, Prairie de Montezarg, which I told you was the one that had the monk. Acaria and Montezarg make lighter, paler wines. Manissi and Trinquevadel tend to make heavier wines. Mm. I tend to like them a little bit more because they are very unique. I love that Liz and Ben say, have the co-op. So we've got the base wine of the co-op, but they've got single terroir rosés. So there's the Tresor de Sab, which is the sandy soils. Then they have the Cuvée Royale, which is the Galet Roulet, the mm-hmm. Chateauneuf soils. And then the Lazare, which is limestone. The only one that I've been able to get my hands on is the Lazare, and it's excellent. It is way better than the Four Vents. They are a great opportunity to taste the terroir. So I'm going to seek out those others because I just realized I just refound that tidbit in their book. And just as a rattling off of these producers, Domaine Mabay, M A B Y, Domaine de la Mordoray, Domaine de Carabinier, Domaine de la Anglore. Now, this one is this guy. Eric Pfeifferling, really avant-garde, carbonic maceration, dark wines, malolactic, aged for years before release. So, of course, he's the shiny toy. So that's Anglor. And then you have the traditional ones that I mentioned. Those are really the Grand Cru of Hmm. Tavel. 
Those are the main traditional ones first. If you love those, move on from there. And if you decide to visit the area, I did not make it up there, but I'm dying to go because I love these wines. I mean, these wines are pure deliciousness, yeah, but so much to discover mm-hmm. because there's so much complexity here. That's why I'm considering this one of the great. should be. There's an old village in Tavel. There's also a vineyard route. They've done oh, a good really? job with oh, tourism. Cool. Yes, yeah, so you can nice. go there. So as far as the Tavel's that are exported, if I'm in our local wine shop, say like Wine Feed, and I close my eyes and just reach in the Tavel section. There's only usually going to be one. Really? Okay. Yeah. At a smaller wine shop, there will be one. Uh-huh. And even in a bigger one, you might get five or ten. I was going to ask, is yeah. there anything that I need to watch out for? No, because almost everything that's exported is very high quality. Remember that we're talking about 2,000 acres. Yeah, but it's so and cheap. I know. I understand the that. Quality, it's incredibly. It's this wine was $13. No. Right. $13. It easily and doubled. it's Right. But it's it a cooperative. Drinks, yes. Yeah. It drinks like easily a $25 bottle. Easy. But it is really quite inexpensive for what it is. If you are somebody who has not been able to understand rosé or get into it, Tavel is the rosé that might push it over the edge. Bandol would be the other one from Provence, but Tavel is much more affordable. And if you are somebody who's seen it on the shelf and said, God, that looks dark, is it bad? The answer is absolutely not. And Tavel is a fourth style of wine. This is not a white, it's not a red, and in many ways, it's not a rosé. It is more like the clarets of old, and it is really a phenomenal wine. I will tell you, if you have never interacted with me personally on this particular subject, anyone who, as a patron, has taken classes knows that this wine is a favorite of mine and one that I have turned many people onto will continue to forever because I really believe in it. Yeah. I really believe in the style of this wine. Mm -hmm. I believe that there is a place for this wine. The fact that not everyone is buying it and grabbing it and gobbling it up to well, me is insane. Yeah, because it's, this podcast, thanks a lot. Well, you know what? I Demand's going to go up. Price is going to go up. Now I'm screwed. These thanks producers a lot. deserve it. They are small. They work so hard. And it is not easy to make a wine that has this level of precision. Mm-hmm. Rosé is one of the most technically difficult wines to make. It is incredibly hard to do it well. I don't know. I do it pretty easily. but Ugh, Jesus <laughs> Christ. You know what? I think we better end on okay, that Okay, fine. I do want to say, though, that if you have not given Tavel a chance before or passed it over in the rosé aisle or said rosé is not for you, take a second look. T-A-V-E-L, you see it on the name of this episode. It is truly one of the miraculously fantastic wines, not just of France, not just of Europe, but of the world. And as a consumer, I can't screw it up. If it's there, I can buy it and it's going to be good. It's sort of like German Riesling, Mm -hmm. where the importers are so skilled. They're not going to bring in crap. Yeah, there can be bad bottles, but they're not coming to the U.S. or the U.K. or Canada or Australia. They're staying there. And there aren't that many producers of this Mm -hmm. product. And God knows they are really hungry to get their story out. This wine's been made since the 5th century wow. BC. This I mean, is one I'm we, really anxious to go go visit in person. The Southern Rhone is a magnificent place to visit, and I can't wait to visit either because the producers, such wonderful people, such pride of place. They should never try to emulate Provence. They should only keep doing what they are doing, and they have managed to 
listen to consumers like us, but we can continue to support them by buying these wines and really showing that we love them. So anyway, with that, this has been another episode of Wine for Normal People. Thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next time.